what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on The Mesh Podcast Network monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, can you make your pet an Instagram sensation to help promote your business? Or does it depend on your pet's grooming habits? We'll talk about an illuminating article that we've come across to shed more light on this issue. We'll be talking about turning your app into a business with our guest, Tim Bornholt with the Jeb Mahonis Group, which specializes in helping companies develop and deploy mobile apps into the marketplace. Hopefully, we'll have time to figure out whether my angry stampeding elephant app idea will make me a millionaire. Finally, we'll wind up with our Small Business of the Month feature to check out some interesting businesses and share them with you. My name's Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host and director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Mahler, who is Dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing today? Jeff, I'm doing great. It's a little bit cold out there. Although, with our guests coming up here, we'll think that today is a balmy day in Minnesota. Well, we're, we're, we're tucked away in, in uh, North Carolina where uh, our January, our late January days are more in the, uh, the mid-40s here, which... To you and I, with thin blood, that still feels a bit chilly. Yes, but, it does. Uh, yes, our it guest does. Is, is shivering in Minnesota, so uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to be Skyping him in momentarily. But uh, everything else going okay with you? Going great. Although it is basketball season, so Wake Forest makes me uh, a little sad, I guess is the best way to put it. Well, you know, we're, we, 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 we hope that the, the Wake Forest basketball team uh, has a few wins left in their in their. We got one. Bucket. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we got one against State, so that was a good thing. All right. Well, I I shared an article uh, with you, Gary, Mm -hmm. that I had come across that was in the New York Times. It was written by Brian Chen, who is the New York Times lead consumer technology writer. And this was back in December. And Mr. Chen conducted a bit of an experiment last spring to see how he could develop a viral Instagram account by featuring his dog, Max, trying to eat his home-cooked meals. And he wanted to see how much activity he could generate on his Instagram account with photos of Max drooling over some good-looking food. Uh, you know, If you can really blow up uh, an Instagram account with thousands of followers, you might get sponsors uh, interested in placing products on your account, or uh, you, know, you, you might use it to grow your business, promote your business. So uh, I know a lot of our uh, listeners and the folks that we work with are always using social media to promote their business. So it seemed like an interesting article to see how he did. And if you want to check out his Instagram account, it's at cooking with fat Max. That's where you'll you'll find it. And who is Max? Max is the dog. There you go. Okay. So, so the article came out in December. And uh, despite much preparation work, he actually was not really able to grow his accounts. He, he sort of plateaued at around 300 followers, and he was getting about 60 likes per post, which is probably tremendous numbers compared to you and I. But in terms of – I can say similar. Yeah, similar. Okay, well, better than I'm doing on Instagram. But uh, uh, you know, as far as uh, growing your business, uh, you know, probably not what he was looking for. And, 
and he talked with experts and followed their advice and really ultimately didn't get a lot of traction, but he did share some lessons in the article that were interesting. Uh, you know, lesson number one that he said is that Instagram is brutally competitive and there are lots of options out there and, and, you know, there are lots of, there, there are lots of dog type Instagram accounts out there. It was a very interesting article and good research on your part as usual. I've been, you know, when I first started reading it, I didn't know which way you had it going, but there were some good messages or good lessons learned by Basically, he was looking to say, okay, we're going to get this started and we're going to take off and it's going to be an instant success, which a lot of people say when they're going into business, come up with an idea, okay, this is going to work overnight with not a lot of effort or just it's going to take off and I'll just be able to follow it. And they ran into the, the direct opposite. Yeah, and it was interesting that he actually paid a social media service, a fee to grow his followers and, and hopefully build it and and he succeeded in getting more followers. Yeah, I think he, I think he said he got up like three thousand followers at one point, point in yes. time. He paid for twenty five hundred or so. Yeah, to get he some paid extra and, followers. And uh, but the likes for his posts actually went down as yes, he was doing that. I thought so, that was interesting. So so you know you, it's hard to buy yourself love these days. Well, it was interesting because then they said, well, he could had to pay more if he was going to get people to like him. Yeah, apparently I had that same problem. Well, you're you're paying me enough, so yeah, okay. I, I, I like you. But uh, uh, you know, you know, one of his other lessons was that it's hard to make people love you because not only was he paying this outside service to help him grow his his followers and and whatnot, and as Gary said, uh, apparently there's a separate fee if you want people to actually like your post, you can get more followers. But if you want to get likes, well, that's that's more that's more money. Yeah. And he also uh, did some paid ads with Instagram. And he found that more people saw his post, but it didn't really bring in a lot of new followers. I think the number he had was it was costing him, when he looked at the advertising numbers, two dollars mm-hmm. per follower in terms of what he paid for advertising. So, um, ultimately, the conclusion that uh, Mr. Chain came up with was that uh, you really it's really hard to do, and you know there apparently are are enough. Uh, Instagram accounts out there with dogs and food that uh, it's it's not going to work that way. Well, I think it was very interesting, like I said, because it did have some good business lessons in it because I think that's what he was doing when he started saying, okay, I'm going to try this, take it off and see how well I'm going to do and it's going to be a piece of cake to pick up all these followers and get some sponsors and all those things and he found out that it didn't work that way. Well, I, th- I think authenticity is, is very important, and, and um, you know, I, I guess uh, using bots to uh, bump up your numbers ultimately is uh, a not very satisfying or effective way to, to build your business. Yes. Again, for me, I learned a lot from the business perspective trying to use Instagram. So, good article. Well, you, you know, listeners, you can go out there and, and follow Cooking with Fat Max on Instagram, and you'll see some, some nice-looking food, nice-looking dog. Uh, you know, do you think it would be better if you had a cat? Heck no. No? I'm no, a dog person. You're a dog person? I, mean, I, I have think Max dog. looks good. He didn't look fat. I no, think. no. Well, maybe if he ate more of the food, you know, it's, uh, yeah. there's some clams in the yeah, picture. Yeah, I wasn't I really excited about what food that they were offering. Maybe, so. maybe it's the wrong food. Could you be. Know, you know, you got you to get, you get your product right. Yeah, I think that's true. you got to match your product to the market. 
Well, go out there, Google Brian Chen, C-H-E-N, New York Times. Uh, you'll, you'll get a chance to read the article and draw your own conclusions. But uh, it was, uh, the article was in, in December's, uh, one of the December New York Times uh, editions, and uh, it's, it's a good read. So check it out. Uh, but uh, let's, let's move on because we have a guest Very today. Good. We want to welcome our guest, uh, uh, Tim Bornholt. Uh, Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. Tim is a partner at the Jed Mahonis Group in Minnesota. Uh, Tim specializes in helping businesses to strategize, design, develop, and deploy customer mobile applications that bring their products and services directly to their customers. Tim is a a software developer, an entrepreneur, a videographer. He's a founding partner of the Jed Mahonis Group uh, and is Actually, interestingly, recognized for building the Internet's most popular Ralph Wiggum fan page, the now defunct That's Unpossible, which, you know, the fact that I'm talking to you, Tim, does give me some cred with my son. You know, he now not everyone will recognize what that is, but I do. <laughs> and my son will. So, so, you know, you're you're sort of a somewhat of a hero in that regard. Congratulations there. Well, not all not all heroes wear capes. So you're welcome. <laughs> That's right. Well, welcome, welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange. You know, why don't you tell tell us a little bit about the the your company, the the Jed Mahonis Group, and and sort of what uh, what you guys do and, and and your background. Sure. Well, so the Jed Mahonis Group, we uh, partner with businesses to build custom iOS and Android apps. So, um, you know, we have entrepreneurs, we have large businesses, uh, really businesses of any kind that have a problem that can be solved with a mobile app. Uh, we partner with them to strategize around how it should be built, help them design it, develop it, test it, and and put it out into the world so their customers can start getting some value out of it. So, you, So you're a little bit geeky. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> so now, and, and, and this is just sort of a side tangent, you know, when, you know, when I was looking back through my notes, it's like the Jed Mahonis group. I, I do some people sort of assume that you're a rock and roll band or anything like that. Exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Gigs like that. <laughs> yeah, but not, not quite. No, but every, every time we tell somebody the, the story behind the name, I think we get some laughs out of it. So and, well, yeah. What, and, and tell what us is, the story. What's the story behind the name? So my uh, my business partner and I went to high school together, uh, and we did the TV announcements class. And this was around the time of Will Ferrell's Anchorman movie. Um, so we all thought we needed to have cool anchor names to if we're going to be on TV. So uh, he had a pen name he came up with in third grade, Scott Mahonis. And I came up with Jed Harrison. So when we started this business, we were thinking, you know, why don't we just take the two weirdest parts of the name, throw them together, and there you've got yourself a business name. And we have the unintended uh, side effect of everybody always asking to speak to Jed Mahonis if they're mad at us or something. And so we, you know, just tell them, well, I guess that's me. I'm, I'm Jed. So well, <laughs> just, mad, just talk I to me. say Jed's not here right now. Yes. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it sort of sounds like you know the, 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 it's a Leonard Skinner situation here, you know. But, exactly. But, you know, but I, you know, when I was thinking of it, I say it's sort of like you know the Greg Kin band or something like that. Now I'm dating myself. That's that's pre Anchorman. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, well, Tim, Gary, and I, you know, we we work with with people that are starting businesses. We also work with students and at uh, at our our college and, and locally and and. I have to say there are a lot of times when people have come to us saying, hey, I've got an idea for a great app and it's going to make lots of money and, and whatnot and, and trying to figure out the right revenue streams. You know, let, let's start by first talking about how do you turn an idea into an app? You know, what's, what's, what's your thought process as you go through that and how do you work with people? 
Well, I think really the the big thing that we try to do when people come to us with app ideas is make sure that the app is actually um, it's the right tool for the job. Um, I think a lot of times people think it, it was kind of, you know, in the in the early 90s and the mid 90s, it was all about everybody needs to have a website. And ultimately, that ended up being true. I think people find a lot of value because of what a website can bring. But, you know, apps are expensive to build. They're hard to maintain um, and they're not necessarily always the right tool for what a business needs. So when we're strategizing through it and, and helping people to bring an app uh, to fruition, a lot of times what it comes down to is think about your user and is your user mobile? Are they uh, away from their desk? Is it something that um, they're, they're taking a task that they're doing right now with pen and paper and you can use technology to automate it? Um, we really help customers and, and, and businesses think through, um, you know, how can you actually provide value with a mobile app so that uh, you're not, you know, throwing bad money after good or anything like that. So, so you're not just running out and saying, hey, you want an app? We can make you an app. Let's make lots of money for my company. <laughs> you're trying to actually make sure that it's appropriate to, to get an app, to build an app. Exactly. We, we want customers that are in it just as long as we are. So when it, it, there's nothing worse as an app developer if I spend six months to a year building something and then it goes out into the marketplace and nothing happens with it. It's just like I totally wasted all that time for nothing. So I'd, I'd rather make sure that we're putting in uh, our, our efforts into – uh, apps that are actually going to be successful for the businesses. Well, well, well. Talk to us a little bit about uh, you know the revenue and marketing mm-hmm. models, and and uh, you know if, if I think I, I'm going to have an app or I think I want an app, you know, when for me to determine whether it's really worth it to go through the process of developing it, you know, should you know do do you look at it from a revenue perspective? Do you look at it from a marketing perspective? How do you help? clients make that value judgment on on how that fits into their business and their strategy i we really like to look at it uh in one of two ways because an app uh as you know like with any business tool um it can either make money for a business or it can save them money by improving processes and speeding things up that way so you really have to look at it as to whether uh which side of the equation you're going with i personally think that some of the best apps that we work on lately have been apps that don't necessarily go out and provide actual revenue for the business um it's more in uh let's say they have a process a lot of times we work with service-based businesses and we build them estimating tools well we have a tool right now we're working on with a a specific client where right now it takes them you know two to three days uh to go by hand to build out an estimate around a certain project and with the tools that we're building and working with them we've been able to whittle that down to an hour and so being able to take you know how much time could you save by having people instead of taking three days to build an estimate and you can do it in an hour um that's going to save you so much money down the road and you'll be able to crank out estimates faster and be able to get more money in the door so when we're looking at uh what type of of uh model makes sense to justify the expense of an app. Um, that's really one way to look at it. The other way is if you're trying to use it as a way to generate money, um, really what we look at again is we go back to are your customers willing to pay for it? Um, at the end of the day, if you're cost, if you build this really cool app and your customers aren't going to pay for it in one way or the other, you're, you're again, just <laughs> wasting a bunch of money. So uh, we really, there's a, there's a few different revenue models and we can get into that if that'd be interesting for you. But um, there's a few different revenue models that you can go after that can help you make money for your business. So you're not kind of just banking on, I'm going to put ads in my app and make millions of dollars. That's, <laughs> that's not really a thing anymore. That's really interesting that you, Basically, you're a consultant because when you're going in to develop that app, you're learn- you have to learn their business. Exactly. Well. Yeah. So that's where you can come up. That's, do you charge them for that, that's, or do you kind of factor that into your fees, knowing that you're going to be able to give them some good advice? 
we we factor that into our fees um up front i i think it's hard and kind of disingenuous of me to be able to come in and say that i know how to fix your business if i don't know much about it um so i think that's part of our discovery process and part of our strategy phase is we work with the businesses to make sure that we get a good handle on it and that's honestly that's a favorite part of my job i love understanding how all these different businesses work and how um i we, we're in you know we built almost 100 apps now that have been in the store and so we, we've touched a ton of different industries and i've learned a lot um just by it, it's the same things just applied to different uh different industries it's a lot of fun so so you, you sort of touched on potential revenue models for an app you know which for someone that's not in the app business i sort of assume the options are um it's a fee-based app. If I want to, uh, if I want to load it onto my phone, I'm going to have to pay a dollar ninety-nine or nine dollars ninety-nine cents. You know, maybe there is a recurring revenue associated with it. Don't know. And then there's the the uh, elusive advertising piece out there, where if I have a great app uh, that's that's uh, getting more views than our our viral Instagram account that we talked about, uh, people might want to pay me and put ads on my app. So. Now, what are the most what are, from if someone's looking at an app from a revenue perspective, what are the most likely avenues that they are going to go down? I'd say the two biggest ones right now would be uh, in-app purchases and um, subscription-based. So um, uh, the in-app purchase route would be uh, – uh, another term you might hear is freemium. So the app will be put in the App Store for free, and anyone can download it. And the way that they make money is once you download the app, you can see how the app would provide you value, and then they put certain features behind a paywall. So if you want to unlock the premium features, you pay a one-time fee of 7 bucks or 8 bucks, whatever you want it to be. Um, and then that's how they make their revenue. Revenue. And there's all kinds of studies that say, um, you know, the, the traditional approach of putting it up in the store for 10 bucks before anyone buys it, um, you're in it, it, people like free things, you know, <laughs> I think everybody can, can, can attest to that. Um, and, and the, uh, the rates of return on doing the freemium model where, uh, you, you put it in, uh, in behind an in-app purchase, um, you make like three times as much money as you would have if you were to put it up front. So, um, that's one model that I think everybody is familiar with, uh, when they, when they're using apps. The other one would be the subscription-based. One term you might hear is SaaS, um, software as a service. And that's a really common uh, revenue model as well, where it's not a uh, one-time fee, but it's rather a monthly fee or a yearly fee, some sort of, of recurring fee that um, as the it, it kind of aligns incentives really well, because when you just charge up front once for an in-app purchase, um, that's the only time you're capturing revenue from people, where if you can continue to provide value for your customers and they're paying you every month, Obviously, having that recurring revenue is a lot more uh, enticing and and, and um, better for businesses to thrive. So those are the the two real models that I've seen successfully work in in the space. And, and what happens to those customers that say, "Hey, I'm going to sell lots of advertising on my app uh, and get rich"? What do you what? How do you usually respond to them? I I again just usually facts. <laughs> um, I think uh, the uh, when you look at the rate of return for how much ads bring in, um, if you're going to say like put in Google Ad Mob for for an ad pro- platform in your app, you're making like usually fractions of a penny every time that that ad is is displayed. And then uh, if someone clicks on it, you're making a couple of cents here and there. So if you're looking to make a million dollars off of your app, in in all reality, you need to have you know ten million 
page views uh, of, of inside your app. And uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, you guys know how hard <laughs> that would be to acquire 10 million users. It's it's not an easy feat. So um, there are ways that the ad revenue model does work pretty well, um, but you need to have a pretty good niche and a pretty strong audience and following in order to pull something like that off. So, so probably not the 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 typical way that someone's going to generate revenue from that can happen, but probably not not so likely. It's it's not the, my preferred uh, approach. No. Now you probably get the question often uh, of you know, how much is it going to cost to build my app, and and obviously there there are specs and this and that, but you know you, you know is it bigger than a bread box how do you how do you respond to the question of uh you know what's it going to cost us to build my app usually i i i preface it uh by saying it's a lot like buying a house where if you want to go in and get a house that's in the middle of a downtown area that's a five-story mansion, it's probably going to cost a ton of money. Where if you're going to go and build a shack in the middle of the woods, it's going to be a lot less money. Um, so it, it it does, you know, it's it's the classic software developer's response to any question that you ask of it depends. Um, but in this case, pricing really does depend on what kind of app you're trying to build and what features that you're putting in there. If you want kind of an average cost of an app, I'd say the cheaper ones that we work on would be somewhere in the like five to 10 K range. Um, and then the ones that tend to be more robust and more filling, uh, of, uh, of, of features, those are into the six figures, usually between like a hundred and 250 grand to, to build out a whole platform that has a ton of features in it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's good to, for people to sort of know what they're getting into. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, <clears throat> that's, that's why you see so much investment dollars going into it is it's, it's, it's not cheap to build. I mean, developers are expensive to hire. Um, you know, for, for our side, we're hiring right now and, and average salaries in Minneapolis by itself for, for an Android developer are between 80 and 90 grand a year. And if you're looking at, you know, Silicon Valley, obviously it's going to be a lot higher, but it's, it's really expensive to hire these people because they're in really high demand. So therefore the, the costs go up. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, you know, you've gotten um, apps into uh, different app stores, you know, different different formats, uh, <laughs> Apple, Android, and whatnot. You know, how, how difficult is the process of once you've built the app, actually getting it uploaded into the store or approved to be in the store? What's what's that process like? So usually your development team will help you with that stage. Um, they'll ask you for things like marketing graphics and what kind of copy you want in there, all that good stuff. But um, the the difficult part of getting into the app store is getting through the review process. And um, it basically it's it's you you give Apple it, Google's pretty easy to get through actually. There's it's it's almost all automated. But Apple um, they actually have people humans reviewing every single app that gets submitted to the store. So uh, they are looking for all kinds of different things we've been rejected for all kinds of reasons uh seemingly uh innocent reasons that it seems like apple really doesn't uh like that um so you know we've 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 uh we've tripped on all the landmines for our customers already so we know up front when we're submitting and when we're building the app we can make sure that you know you know here's the things apple's looking for don't put those in your app because you're going to get rejected and i assume if it gets rejected do they give you some rationale for why it's being rejected and you have an opportunity to to make those adjustments is that how it works well so like i said uh, sometimes it's not very rational but yeah they do give you <laughs> they do give you a rationale um and they tell you uh here's what's wrong you need to go in and make these tweaks and uh and away you go so yeah and, and what how often does that process 
usually take. I mean, I re, not necessarily the tweaks, but just you know, you've got the app. You want to get it into the app store. Is that a you know, you send it to them. It's there tomorrow, or it takes a week. It takes a month, or what's how, how's that process? It's gotten a lot better over the years. It used to be um, you know anywhere between a week and fourteen days. So anytime you'd want to put any update into the store, you'd have to sit and wait for fourteen days. It's it's pretty ridiculous with <laughs> with technology. Um, and lately, it's been a lot faster. I've seen apps get approved in less than six hours. Um, but typically, right now, they say seventy two hours is is a good time to uh, at at the most is usually what we've seen. Do do, do people typically just say, hey, I need it in, in, you know, both for Android and for Apple and, you know, and, and you know, the, the, I would assume at this sense, at, at this time, it doesn't make sense to do one or the other. You, you probably must do both. Question? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, usually when they say they want it on both, we tell them the cost is two times what it, what it is. And then that kind of helps make uh, decisions for people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, there's a uh, um, Instagram actually, and we use this example quite a bit. Instagram, when they first started, they didn't have an Android app and they actually didn't have an Android app until about a week before Facebook bought them. So it uh, it, they, what they did, and we call it the Instagram approaches. You, you start out on one platform, you iterate and you improve and you make all the tweaks and you make all the mistakes. And so once you're ready and you've got that platform figured out, um, then it's not as difficult to continue to make all those mistakes on the other platform. You just jump right in with your, your slate that you've already figured out and, and away you go. So that, that's a really common way to do it. Okay. And, and you you, you said you, you, gone through a, you've done a lot of app development or are there certain projects that you uh, are more satisfied with or any anything you'd like to highlight of uh, some of the work that you've done with various apps yeah um one of our our most probably popular app that we that we worked on was the great clips app so if you've ever gone uh to the a great clip salon and gotten your hair cut you can download the app before you go and it'll give you the estimated wait time for that salon and then you can just check in so then you if it says it's a 70 minute wait which it happens all the time at my great clips um you check in and you play with your kid for an hour and then you drive over to the salon and you literally walk in and you see all the angry faces of people that have been sitting there for for 70 minutes um it's a fantastic app uh it's it's a lot of fun to work on and and one of the other uh fun ones that we've worked on my, my personal favorite project is we we worked with a an entrepreneur that built he was a an avid billiards player and he was a mechanical engineer and he took a cue ball and put an accelerometer into it that had a bluetooth chip as well and we were able to uh whenever he was perfecting his brake shot basically so we ended up um calculating like the angle of entry and how much force he was exerting on the ball and it helped him improve his game um by by using some of that math and that was a, a really fun project to work on <laughs> Is that something that that was made available to other people, or I mean, is that is that was that his business, or was that just because he's like a rich guy that wants to figure out how to play pool better? I, I think he ultimately wanted to do that, but I think the prototypes didn't pan out fully um, to to be able to make it a mass market product. Um, so he, I think he kind of kept it to himself as a little bit of a uh, an advantage over his uh, competitors. <laughs> sounds like you, Gary. Yeah, that would be me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, um, when, when you're when you're talking to people about uh, the process of building an app, are there certain uh, rookie mistakes or things that uh, you often see that perhaps uh, you could tell our listeners? There, here are some things that you uh, so, some some heartache that you might be able to avoid. 
Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the uh, things that we already touched on again was was coming into it without a revenue model in mind and, and a business plan. Um, the the I'm, I'm fond of saying the gold rush is over because when when the app store first came out, um, people were making millions just by literally just by putting an app on the store and and that and having no plan and and, and nothing. So um, those days are are well and good behind us. Um, it is there's one and a half million apps on each app store right now, so the odds of you striking gold are are pretty slim to none. Uh, so b- before going into it again, make sure uh, you're talking, uh, you know, with one of you guys or talking with with somebody. Just figuring out your your revenue strategy is is super crucial. Um, and the other thing too that I think people make mistakes in often is uh, thinking that uh, you don't need to. You can kind of use the app process to figure out your own business processes. And I think uh, that's one thing that we've learned is it's a lot easier uh, to to write out something on pen and paper than it is to code it out into an app. Uh, so if you're if you're trying to use the app process to figure out, like, like I was using that example of uh, coming up with your estimates. Um, that process, he came up with that on pen and paper first and kind of iterated on it uh, again and thought, you know, this this would be a good idea for an, uh, an app and a tool. Um, I think sitting down and making sure you figure out how your business runs before you try to automate it or do things like that with an app is uh, is one of the, the biggest mistakes you can make is, is having me do it because I'll, I'll charge you for it. <laughs> but sometimes you need an outside person to look at it and when you're analyzing your business, sometimes you get those rose-colored glasses and having somebody from the outside can be very helpful. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and, and there's things you, the kind of the, the old um, Donald Rumsfeld, the unknown unknowns. Um, if you, uh, if you don't know what you don't know, then how, how can you, uh, how can you do better? So that's where, if you know, uh, at least you have a base idea of how your business goes from A to Z to deliver whatever value you, you deliver to your clients. Um, then we can come in once you have that, that process in an analog form figured out, we can come in and make it digital and, and help you figure out how to, uh, how to improve things. Yeah, I think if you look at apps as you know part of your business process, you're always looking to make improvements to your business and improvements to your your processes. I I assume that that you probably have some clients that come back to you to improve or tweak existing uh, apps once uh, they're out there and they start to get some feedback. Do you have that, those sort of ongoing relationships and any any uh, suggestions on how people should make adjustments on their apps as they go forward? Yeah, I think um, that, like I said uh, when we were talking earlier, we really like to have long-term relationships with our clients. We've uh, we've been in business for seven years, and we have a couple of clients that have been with us since since day one. So um, the uh, the whether or not uh, you decide in your uh, business that you want to change things with the app, the outside world is going to change. Uh, Apple and Google are going to release new phones and new operating systems. Uh, your customers are going to be a comp- uh, see other apps and see other things that are going on out in the world that. Uh, they want to see your app do. Um, so really, uh, the, the best thing that you can do is just make small incremental changes as you go along instead of uh, setting it on the shelf for three years and then all of a sudden coming back and it's like we basically need to build a whole new app at that point because uh, so much has changed. And, and and that's the thing with technology is it's, it's never ending. So it, there's always change. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's probably one of the best things you can do. Any, any other suggestions that you have for our listeners out there when it comes to app development? I'd say uh, 
dream big and and don't be afraid to to think about how big your app can get because we can help you um, if you have the grand vision of where you want to go you know we can help you get it so that you can build it in, in in a small incremental way it's you don't need to bite off the big thing all at once you can start really small and get one little feature out there to provide value for your customers and and, and or for your business and and keep growing it from there so um, and one of the one of the, the tricks that I use a lot too is if you have the idea in your head um, it Get out a piece of paper, trace your phone on the piece of paper and sketch out. I'm a horrible artist, so there's no excuses. Anyone can do this. Um, just sketch out something uh, and and go screen to screen to screen. And just doing that process by itself um, will really help you kind of hone how you want your app to, to work for your customers. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. You know, Tim, for, for our, our good guests like you, we have like a little bit of a, a lightning round in that we will throw some good questions at you. You ready for our lightning round? Let's do it. Okay. Tim, tell us your, your favorite U.S. city besides the one that you live in. Um, I would say, uh, let's go with Denver. I, I, I really liked going over to Denver and trying out all the beers at the, at the breweries there. Okay. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Man, you're asking the, the tough ones. Uh, I'm going to go with yes. Okay. Jeff's a pretty tough interviewer, I'll yeah, tell you that. Taylor Swift <laughs> or Beyonce? Beyonce. Favorite childhood TV show? Um, I was a big fan of The Simpsons. That's, that's why I have that. Uh, that's why I had that website. <laughs> you got that one right. Good. All right. Uh, cake or pie? Cake. Last question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Um, I've always been a big fan of invisibility. I think that would be a, a cool superpower to have. Fair enough. Well, you got, you got three, right? Good for you. Good job. <laughs> Many times I'd like to be invisible. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tim, we really appreciate you joining us today. If people want to find you and your company, where should they be looking? How do we find you out there? You can find us at uh, jmg.mn. Um, or just Google Jed Mahonis group. You can find us on all the social platforms. And if you're, if you're interested in this topic too, I have a podcast called constant variables and we talk about technical stuff in a non-technical way. So, uh, we can kind of break down some complex technical, uh, ideas of how apps work and, and help, uh, help your, help your listeners figure out how, uh, how they can build apps of their own. And what's the name of the podcast again? Constant variables. Constant variables. All right. People should, we should check that out as well. So anyway, we – Very good. Uh, and, and you're outside of Minneapolis. Is that correct? Just barely. Yeah, just a few miles. And, 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 and what, what is the temperature there today? Well, right now it's warmed up. Uh, we're at about negative four right now. Uh, this morning, uh, earlier when I woke up, it was a negative 13. And uh, next week the wind chill is supposed to get down to negative 60. So uh, pray for me. God bless you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well <laughs> – Good luck. We, we, we appreciate you joining us today, sharing some, some great information about apps, uh, and uh, you know, we really do appreciate it. So, Tim, at the end of our podcast, we always uh, have a little feature where we uh, talk about small businesses that we've come across in our, our travels or readings and whatnot or, or that we've worked with. Uh, do you have a small business that you want to give a shout-out to? 
Yeah. So uh, one business that uh, we helped actually get get started off the ground um, was a, a business by a, a guy that we met who he had started and sold two companies already. And he was uh, one his his second business was acquired by a company. And then that business was acquired by another company. So he was stuck inside this kind of corporate structure. And he just kept telling us, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I, 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 I got to keep innovating. And we said, well, just just go do it. So he, he got he made his uh, the, the first couple of companies were about automotive research. And it was specifically research around things like tires and lighting systems and things like that. Um, and we were talking with him and we're like, yeah, we can help you build a, another site like that. And as we were iterating, he's like, you know, this whole self-driving car thing, uh, this this isn't going anywhere. Uh, maybe we should do a portal um, based around how all these components inside self-driving cars work. So how all the sensors and processors and things work together. So he ended up starting this company uh, that was just a research portal for um, all the build. He calls it the building blocks of autonomy, um, and it's it's uh, things that companies like Ford and Chrysler and all, all the big car companies have budgets for this research. And as we were building this product out, um, they were asking him, you know, can you actually test out some of these products and and let me know how uh, how all these things work, how how all these radars play with all these processors and things like that. So the company now has evolved um, from doing research on tight and lights uh, into we actually the company owns three self-driving cars that they built themselves uh, and, and they also bought a Tesla as well and they do research uh, based around all these components and figuring out which components are optimal for different use cases for um, and uh, the you know companies like Uber and and Ford that are building uh, self-driving cars so the company is called VSI Labs um, and it's based uh, right here in, in St. Louis Park Minnesota and uh, I, I just I thought it was a really cool exercise in seeing how a business evolves from um, uh, one idea, and if you just kind of keep going down the path uh, to to see where it goes, it 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 went from being really low tech in terms of lights all the way up to now all these crazy sensors and things like that. Oh, cool! And, and what was really what was the name of it again? It's called VSI Labs. V as in boy. V as in Victor. Oh, V as in Victor. VSI Labs. Okay. Let's, well, people should check that one out. Thank you, Gary. What's your small business this month? Well, mine's not necessarily a small business. It was at one point. And it'll show the magic of our podcast where we had Tim talk about this high-tech business that's doing very well. Mine comes from Shark Tank, which you know is one of my favorite shows to watch. And I've been watching it for, you know, nine or ten years now. And it's called Manscaped. Yeah. Which was a winner on Shark Tank, getting Mark Cuban and Robert Hertzbeck to invest in their male grooming products for below the waist. Okay. It's a little bit outside my comfort zone. For a lot of reasons. No, we're getting, we're going to go further outside your comfort zone, but go ahead. Okay. Well, it's a growing market. It's one that more men are considering. It may not be uh, where all other grooming products are that we have, you know, but as you know, men are getting more and more comfortable going outside their comfort zone to get more things to make them look good, just like their wives. So we, we think in the near future that they're probably going to be in a, a lot of places that they've never been before. No, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you if it's in your closet already. But in a few years, it may be, or it may be just like clippers for our hair, our ears, hair color, lotions, all those things. And by the way, Manscaped does have lotions and things they do uh, to help their body and all those things that men might want to do. As an interesting aside, the company, as I said, uh, they were almost out of business when they got started, before they got to Shark Tank. But then they started using humor to highlight the accidents that happened when you're not writing, using the right tool for the job. The good news is they're doing well, even though they were a hair from going under. 
I got that. Go you ahead. You got that good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And they have escaped the failure of Manscaped. Okay. And they have two customers from Shark Tank. So, so if I if I Not Google me, if I Google Manscaped, will the uh, college firewall allow me to visit it? I, I was thinking about that when I was researching over the week. Okay. Okay. Well, can you go forward? I'm 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 gonna I'm, I might even one up you. Who knows? Oh, God bless. <laughs> so. The, the small business that I'm going to, to highlight today, which, which I saw, I read an article in the, a newspaper this week that I found out about it. It's a company called Laura, L-O-R-A, DiCarlo, D-I-C-A-R-L-O, Laura DiCarlo. It's a woman-run startup, which is working to change the face of pleasure products. They are, are proudly sex-positive and gender-inclusive. And their goal is to create products and educational resources that promote female sexual empowerment. They've already raised $1.2 million in funding and grants in 2018 and partnered with Oregon State University's College of Engineering to develop a range of products to close the orgasm gap and make blended orgasms a right rather than a reach. And Laura Haddock is the founder and CEO who has over a decade of experience in healthcare. She was in the U.S. Navy. Um, she is a self-described anatomy geek and has done much research into the topic of female orgasm. She left med school to design functional product specifications determined to produce the perfect orgasm, drawing on years of research and data gathered from women. Now, you might be asking why I brought this one up and why, how I found out about this. Yes, I have been thinking about that as you were okay, talking. Okay, so, so here's, here's how I found out about it. The, the, the article that I read uh, in the newspaper, also the New York Times, you, know, you can see, you, know, you, you think I'm working. I'm just you do really, a lot of research. You know, do a lot of research. It's research, right. Uh, was about their new product called OSE, O-S-E with a little accent over the E, which is a hands-free sex toy for women, which was exhibited that, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas this January, and initially won the uh, show's Robotics Innovation Award. The product is designed to produce a blended orga- orgasm. You can just read the article if you want to know what that is. And it's got eight patents pending and was built by a team of engineers, including people who specialize in robotics and artificial intelligence. But three weeks after receiving their award, they received a letter from the Consumer Technology Association saying that their product had been disqualified because it was deemed immoral, obscene, indecent, and profane, and not keeping it with the Consumer Technology Association image. And this has created quite the controversy because of uh, potential gender bias in the way they look at these things, and the, the company... Uh, is accusing the Consumer Technology Association of gender bias, and they've actually backed off a bit from their initial thing. They've sort of changed their story now, saying that the the product didn't fit into the robotics category, but it seems that it probably does. But regardless of all that, our job is to focus on new and interesting businesses, Mm -hmm. and I found that this was an interesting business. and Very um, interesting. So so my story, you know, it's... yeah, you know, we don't rehearse this, so we don't really know what we're coming to no, the table I mean, with. It's so amazing that we were we both went below the belt and we yeah, actually independent uh, research. Coming. You know, we, they we, could be we could match maybe the products together. 
Who knows? And uh, as I said, uh, the, the name of the, the place you can find mine is www.lauradicarlo.com. And it includes information about their business as well as about this specific controversy. Now, Gary, I was concerned that this small business could be a little risque for our podcast. So I ran it by my wife before we taped the show, make sure it was okay. You know, her first response was, what is this orgasm thing you speak of? But then she she um, read the article and reminded me that Valentine's Day is coming up. So well, there you go. Well, so, that's good. Well, I had thought the same thing, although I thought mine was risque until I just heard what yours was. Okay. And my wife was the one that suggested using Manscaped because we watched Shark Tank together. And she said she thought that that would be something that would be worthwhile talking about because it okay. was a, a really good idea. And, of course, you know, she's a cosmetology instructor and, you know, with our school and you know, are you suggesting our school might offer a program? Well, I hadn't in, thought in about it, but I mean, she's just, she's always okay. looking to see, you know, how we can help uh, men and women feel better about themselves. Okay. I think yours is probably a little bit uh, further down the road than manscape. Well, but you know, similar in uh, concept. Well, I mean, where, where do you come out on, on female, female orgasms? Are you for or against them? I think it's a good thing. Okay. Well, good for you. I was trying to handle that the best way possible. You're you're an enlightened man. Yes. So, all right. Well, look, if you've got a suggestion for the Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, please email them to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And uh, if we use yours, you'll get a prize pack, which will not include anything that we've discussed today in the prize pack. So, Well, I'm glad we're on a podcast because I'm sure my face is uh, probably red. A little bit, yes. Uh, we want to thank uh, Tim Bornholt. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today with the, the Jed Mahonis group. We appreciate it. And he'll probably thank you very much for having me back with us again. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, I'll make sure that my uh, my small business pick is a little more on topic. I didn't realize you guys were going so far below the belt. <laughs> we have never done it. Before. Yeah, well, it was, well, of course, we don't live in Minnesota. So this could be our That's last fair. podcast, Tim, for all we know. So anyway, uh, we, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, you can check out all the podcasts from the mesh network at the mesh.tv and there are a lot of things you should be listening to so so check those out subscribe to the entrepreneur exchange by visiting itunes or or many of the usual suspect podcast sites uh, we appreciate you listening and we we hope that we'll be talking with you again next month and trying to raise the level in the go. next month all right thanks a lot been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.